0: From the Edwin Cardinal O'Brien Pastoral Center in Washington, D.C., home base for the Archdiocese for the Military Services USA. This is Catholic Military Life, the only official podcast of the Archdiocese. I'm your moderator, Taylor Henry. And it's my privilege for this edition to have as my guest Father Vincent Wu. Father Wu joining us from actually originally from Hong Kong, but here in DC. Uh, finishing up his work on his uh, canon law degree. Father Wu, welcome.
1: Nice to meet you.
0: Thanks and, for having me. Uh, and now someone, thank you so much for uh, stopping in to talk to me today. Um, Father Wu, you, uh, while you're here um, matriculating at the uh, Catholic University of America, working on your canon law degree, are uh, joining us here in the Archdiocese for the Military Services uh, in the Tribunal Office.
1: That's correct.
0: And uh, so uh, we appreciate your work. Uh, you'll be here for how long?
1: Maybe a few more years while finishing on my dissertation.
0: I hear you. Mm-hmm. So you have no, you are a, um, uh, a a citizen of China now, right?
1: Hong Kong. So Hong Kong. so it's
0: a difference between uh, mainland China and Hong Kong.
1: Yes, well, historically, Hong Kong was part of the British government. It, it, it was a British colony until 1997. And uh, the sovereignty was handed over back to China back in 1997. So the Chinese actually promised to give us 50 years of autonomy. So Hong Kong people actually has a different passport from people in China.
0: I see. Yeah. Okay, so for our military audience uh, who would be interested in the... Uh, handing over of Hong Kong uh, from b- by the British to the Chinese back in 97. Uh, here we are uh, in the middle of a war in Ukraine where Russia has by force tried to go in and take over Ukraine, still trying to. Uh, there's been a lot of discussion about, oh, my goodness, what will happen if uh, mainland China tries to take over uh, Taiwan. Exactly. Uh, so uh, th- this is... Obviously, of keen interest to all Americans mm-hmm. uh, and the military folks in particular. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell me, what has been the transition like? Uh, you you are in your mid thirties now, so you're okay. old enough to remember right. when Hong Kong was uh, still a British colony. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you can share with us what what has been, uh, you know what's it been like? What was it like living through the transition? So,
1: in 1984, that was actually the year I was born. Well, the Chinese and the British signed uh, the Sino-British de- Declaration basically handing over Hong Kong back to China. So it's actually an international treaty that promised Hong Kong people 50 years of, of a high degree of autonomy. Um, so in 1997, the British left and then Hong Kong returned to China. So um, we were promised to have universal suffrage, to have election you know, within the first 5-10 years. But then, but then the Chinese Communist Party never really keeps their promises, and so in the past twenty-five years, the, the Chinese Communist Party has been trying to slowly infiltrate into the different parts of civil society in in Hong in Hong Kong. Um, you know, infiltrating the press, uh, you know, different business sectors, and even you know, even the church, like religions, right. Um, to the point that two years ago, they were trying to impose an extradition law uh, to the Hong Kong people. Basically, what signified, the, so, so the importance was that if that law was passed, then anyone anyone in Hong Kong, any Hong Kong citizen, or even American citizens living in Hong Kong, they could be potentially extradited back to China for trial, which is a very, very, very bad sign. Because Hong Kong, even after '97, we're still actually... Uh, we still have the rule of law, we are still running under a common law system, left by the British, whereas for China, they have, you know, the Chinese law system, right, it's like basically 99% conviction rate, especially if you committed a political crime. So people are very, very scared. So that's why you you saw on the news two years ago, three years ago, you know, like two million people in Hong Kong, they went on the street to protest against this evil law. And yet... Well, we fail, and eventually the CCP really cracked down on people's freedom in Hong Kong. So so there's a huge change in Hong Kong in the past 18 months since the passing of the national security law, which basically completely eliminated freedom of speech and freedom of press in the city.
0: Now, when you say CCP, obviously you're talking about the Chinese Communist Party.
1: That's right. That's
0: right. And uh, so what kinds of crimes... Could you be sent back to Beijing from Hong Kong for?
1: Well, right now, um, if you if you break the national security law, I mean there's one guy he was arrested for chanting a Hong Kong independence slogan on the street. So he was sentenced for four or five years in Hong Kong prison. And you guys know about Jimmy Lai, a very, very famous Hong Kong, Uh, businessman he was arrested um, you know a year and a half ago and he was charged with multiple crimes some of them were actually violation of so-called violation of national security law so he could potentially be sent to China you know for for endangering national security uh, because he ran a newspaper that would constantly attack the CCP
0: Wow. What about freedom of religion? Has the Chinese Communist Party cracked down on that in Hong Kong yet?
1: So far, they haven't done anything very specific, but I think that's going to be the next step.
0: I see. Mm-hmm. Now tell me a little bit about the Catholic Church in Hong Kong. How many uh, Catholics are there? How many priests? How big is the Diocese of Hong Kong? It's not an archdiocese, right?
1: Right, it's a diocese. So we have... Uh, so Hong Kong has a seven billion population. And I would say Catholics would there would be around sixty hundred thousand Catholics in Hong Kong. How many? Sixty hundred thousand Catholics.
0: So, uh, so
1: less than ten percent right, of, of right, the population. Six hundred
0: fewer 100. than fewer
1: than six hundred thousand. Six hundred thousand.
0: That's right. That's right. I that's see. Right, wow. Uh, now, are you, you'll when you finish your studies here in Washington, you'll go back to Hong
1: Kong. That's the plan. Yeah. yeah.
0: And are you at all concerned about uh, the government interfering with?
1: Yeah, we're very much because we know uh, historically, how China has the so-called patriotic church, right, which is a state-run church, and priests and bishops have to register with the government and they have to obey the orders from the CCP. And for Hong Kong, this is not the case historically because we were under the British you know, until ninety seven. So even after the handover, the church is still not part of the patriotic church, patriotic association. But with the complete elimination of freedom in Hong Kong, I think it's fairly likely that um, the CCP would want you know, the Diocese of Hong Kong, priests and bishops, to basically follow the system in China, in mainland China, basically you know, registering with the, with the government and basically the same uh, system as made in China.
0: Well, I can share with you my own personal experience. When back when I was a reporter back in the eighties and nineties, I visited China on mm-hmm. numerous occasions, mm-hmm. and when I would go to mass in Beijing, I would have to find the church. And what I recall, the church that I attended was back behind other buildings. that was you know not prominently right, right. Uh, shown, and of course, I had no way of knowing you know the. the you know, the priest, whether or not the liturgy was sound or anything right, like that. Right, right. Uh, the the only folks who were, and I, I remember a daily mass that I went to, the only folks who were there were older women. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so um, I know that's not the way it is in Hong Kong, but mm-hmm. uh, is there a concern among the Catholic community in Hong Kong that that, is what it will be relegated to, that all that you, for example, will have to uh, clear uh, Beijing, get approval from the Communist Party to continue pursuing your vocation?
1: Well, there are indeed concerns. I mean, people actually think that this would actually happen for sure. It's just a matter of time. It's just a matter of when this is going to happen.
0: What are your thoughts looking at what's going on in Ukraine right now? Do, are there any parallels in your mind between what's happening in Hong Kong?
1: Yes, if you um, back in 2014, there was a huge protest in Ukraine, right? So the Ukrainian people, they overthrew the pro-Russian leader. Uh, in the same year, in, in summer 2014, the Hong Kong people actually went on the street to protest against the government. So we actually very much uh, admire the Ukrainians. And we actually, you know, in the 2019 protests in Hong Kong, we, uh, lots of Hong Kong people actually watched the movie Winter on Fire. You know, the movie that documentary that actually portrayed the uh, Ukrainian protest back in 2014. So we see a of similarities between the Hong Kong, you know, Hong Kong protests and also the, you know, what's going on in Ukraine.
0: I see. C- could you imagine there possibly being a, an armed uprising against uh, Beijing when they take over? In
1: Hong Kong? Yes. Right now at this moment is very, very difficult because we have no military in Hong
0: Kong. Sure. Yeah. What about Taiwan? Taiwan, we hope that the
1: Taiwanese would, would stand up to fight against the Chinese. You know, they, I hope that they will be as brave as the Ukrainians and fight, fight the Chinese Communist Party. Yeah.
0: What is the perception in Hong Kong mm-hmm. among locals mm-hmm. of the United States, the United States military? Mm-hmm. I would say there is a generational
1: divide. I mean, for younger, you know, for younger Hong Kong people, like people who, who are under, under under forty years old, we have a very very positive perception towards the Americans. If you look at uh, the protest two years ago, where like, there were young kids like waving American flag, you know, singing the national anthem of America in Hong Kong, you know, waving American flag, so that really angered the CCP. You know, like, how come all these Hong Kong people are waving the U.S. flag but not the Chinese flag, right? So, so for you know i guess people who are under 40, under 40 years old who were born you know after the 1980s were very much appreciative of the us government what for what what the us have done to the hong kong people
0: i see mm-hmm. tell me a little bit about your vocation how long have you been a priest
1: i was ordained a priest 2017
0: i see so uh, we're 2022 now five, so years, five already. years okay yep. and then now you're moving beyond that to get your uh Canon law degree. Do you expect that you'll become a judicial vicar?
1: I will probably be working in the chancery office.
0: I see. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was it like discovering your vocation in uh, uh, in Hong Kong?
1: I actually discovered my vocation in the U.S. Oh, really? I actually spent six years in the U.S. after high school. I see. Where uh, where did you go to high school? I went to UCL. Well, I, I went to high school in Hong Kong, and I went to Los Angeles for college. I went to UCLA. Uh, that's actually where I discovered my vocation of all the places in LA. So, so I have a group of friends, very very good Catholic friends in college. You know, we pray together. We go to daily mass together. We, we used to go to Adoration in West Hollywood. In West Hollywood for Adoration. <laughs> so, I have one priest friend. Um, you know, one friend he entered the Archdiocese of, of LA, and then one other girl. She's she's now a nun in Michigan.
0: Ah, so, very interesting. Mm-hmm. So, you came uh, to UCLA. What did you study? Psychology. At UCLA? I see. And uh, then when you discerned uh, a vocation... Did you go back to Hong Kong uh, for your seminary education? Uh,
1: so, yeah, I, I actually eventually went to grad school in Madison, Wisconsin, before I went to Hong Kong, went back to Hong Kong for seminary. I see. So what, I took some years to for the before I went back.
0: I see. What is your grad grad school degree? In
1: educational psychology.
0: I see. Okay, so then you, you're from Wisconsin, uh, then you went back. Back to Hong Kong, that's right. Uh, and All right. So you're here in the military archdiocese, so you're working in the tribunal. That's right. Um, is there anything specific about, uh, and, and m- most of what you do in the tribunal is annulment cases.
1: Annulment, right? also marriage preparation for soldiers.
0: Oh, marriage preparation for soldiers. Okay. Right, yeah. All right. So um, th- tell me a little bit about the work you're doing in the tribunal here for the Archdiocese for the military services, uh, both uh, annulments and preparation. Are there things that differentiate the Catholic military population from the population at large when it comes to annulments, marriage preparation? Mm -hmm.
1: So, in the tribunal here, we're responsible for, you know, say if a soldier wants to get married in a civilian parish, then the chaplain will have to send all the documents to here for the judicial vicar for his approval before. We send the documents, you know, to the civilian diocese and parishes. So that's what we do. We, you know, basically processing documents for soldiers who want to get married in, you know, outside an in installation. Uh-huh. Right? And then for Nome is basically, you know, soldiers who got civil divorce and they want to remarry, they want to marry in the Catholic Church again. So they would turn in, you know, their documents and, you know, basically the whole story. And then, and then we would assign judges, and then, you know, both judges would. You know, would determine whether those marriages are no or not.
0: Right. I see. Well, let's start with the annulments first sure. and work our way back. At, sure. What's the what's the wait time nowadays for uh, military catholic? Well, that's to... the
1: most often asked question in the tribunal. <laughs> it's, it's very, very hard to give an estimate because every case is different. But I mean, I would say at least, I mean, it is not a matter of three or four months. I would say at least a year or two or even
0: longer. Oh, wow. Yeah, a, a year or two or longer. Even, yes, yes, yes. Uh, now, what about the marriage preparation? How how long does that take? Uh, you have a couple; they're waiting to get married. How? Soon? Well, they're
1: supposed to start at least six months before the wedding.
0: Is that they, enough?
1: Well, I guess they could always spend more time in preparation. Can we think about priests would have to go through a seven-year formation before they get ordained, right? So, right, you know, if men and women, you know, if marriage is a vocation, they should spend more time in, you know, information as well so yeah basically um taking all the pre-cana courses focus and um various types of preparation paperwork so
0: yeah I see, and uh, so you, you speak very good English, by the way. Oh, thanks. So. And I'm sure that came in part from living in Los Angeles for how long—five, six, seven years? Oh,
1: three years in LA, three and year, then yeah. three years in Midwest. Well, right. but Hong Kong was a British hot colony, so we all learned English and speak in school kindergarten. Sure, of yeah. course.
0: So uh, the the. the, the no telling how long you'll be here, at least another year or two, at least, yeah, I yeah, suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, then back to Hong Kong, mm-hmm. where you might work. And uh, did, Any chance you might uh, take over a parish? Or, uh, it's
1: up know? to the bishop, yeah. I yeah, see. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, what's your impressions of, uh, of uh, the, the military archdiocese? Obviously, Hong Kong doesn't have a military that's right, archdiocese. That's right, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, uh, you know so some people uh, when they see a military archdiocese they kind of raise their eyebrows and say well how can you have you know how can the church be involved with the military mm-hmm. uh, when the you know the message of Christ is peace but the military wages war. What's your thoughts on that?
1: Well I mean the church is not against war. I mean we have to fight battle I mean just think about what ukraine is go- what's going on in ukraine right now or what's going on what on and what will go on in taiwan maybe in, in the middle of months right uh, we have to we have to fight the war we have to fight against the evil parties in order to maintain peace in order to safeguard justice in the world right so I mean, the, the church is not, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, peace is good, but it's, it's only good if, I mean, John 20, John the 23rd, I think he actually said that uh, peace is actually not the absence of war. Peace is it's not merely the absence of war. There has to be a just order in the world, in the society. If there is unjust aggression, I mean... People, like, like people, people in Ukraine, you know, they are called to really stand by and fight. So, yeah.
0: Tell me about your childhood growing up in Hong Kong.
1: So, my 13, my, I was, you know, since the day I was born until I was, I was 13, uh, Hong Kong was actually under the British rule, right? So, uh, even beyond that, I guess I guess the eight, first 18 years of my life when I was in Hong Kong, I mean, I don't really feel, uh, I mean, there, I, I, it's, it's hard to tell the difference between, uh, you know, pre-97 and post-97. There's actually not much big difference in the first, you know, 5, 10 years since the handover. over. Um, I would say that even for the first 15, 20 years, I mean, you, you could tell some differences, but they're actually not huge difference. You could still tell you could still see that hong kong is is very very much distinct from china you know in terms of the legal system in terms of education in terms of freedom of religion but then the past 18 months it has changed dramatically it has changed dramatically i mean by imposing the national security law in hong kong the chinese communist party has basically destroyed an international treaty that it has signed in 1984 Right. And now Hong Kong is basically no different from any, part in, any city in China.
0: That's quite a difference. It is. To go from a, what was essentially a, a free market economy Yes. Uh, to the point where you say it's no different from any other city yeah,
1: in China? Yeah. Hong Kong was, was consistently ranked number three international financial center behind New York and London. So Hong Kong is basically like a New York in Asia. You know, it's a very, very it's a very, very vibrant city. It's free lots of freedom. And no one should be no one is no one no there there's there's no fear, you know, in terms of freedom of speech, right? You can say whatever you want, right? There is no fear of being arrested. That's before twenty nineteen, right? But since the promulgation of the national security law it has changed. I mean this whole freedom of speech, uh, freedom of, of assembly, freedom of protest, freedom of um, speech, it has completely gone away. Wow. Yeah, it's not as bad as North Korea. All right. But, but if you just consider the fact that you know, we were living like people in New York before 2019, but now it's basically, now Hong Kong is degenerated into just like any you know, Chinese city in mainland China.
0: I see. Yeah. What uh, do you, you know, we hear a lot about uh, China is the, the next, what, for lack of a better word, I don't want to say enemy, but competitor of the United States, mm-hmm. the, the, you know, going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your feeling about that? Do you think that it's Chinese versus the West? A president?
1: I think so. Is Chinese Russia against the West. I mean, they form an evil alliance.
0: And certainly after the Russia's invasion of Ukraine, mm-hmm. that uh, alliance is more solid.
1: It's very, very clear uh, that. Yeah, that they're actually together against the West.
0: I see. Do you have any contact at all with Catholics on the other side uh, in China uh, within, you know, the non non Hong Kong parts of China, for lack of a better word, for the for the yeah,
1: actually, some priests, mainland Chinese priests who are actually study in DC, so I have some contacts with them. But about.
0: yet, they are uh, required to sign allegiance to the government.
1: Yeah, pretty much so. Yeah.
0: Does that mean in communist China that the government has a final review on homilies, the liturgy? uh can it d- determine who gets to go to mass and who can't go to mass
1: so right now they're what they're doing is if you want to be ordained you have to, to so in the past if you want to be ordained a bishop you you would need the approval from the government right but i think since two years ago 2020 even if you are ordained a priest you would need approval from the government for ordination to the priesthood even for priests not just bishop And uh, in regard to who gets to go to mass, what I heard was in one province in China, um, the CCP would actually uh, assign a party official in the parish, sitting in a parish office. That official would tell the pastor how many people can can come to mass on Sunday. It's determined by the party official who is not Catholic.
0: Now, what would go into making a decision like that? I mean, why, why would he say 500 can come this weekend, but only 300 the well,
1: next? Well, I suppose if the pastor were not obedient, you know, if he preaches against the government, then, you know, then the party official would say, no, you know, we're closing the church, you know, for a week or two or for months. Well, actually, since COVID started two years ago in China, there has been no... I mean, the church was, the church is supposed to be closed. even now, in this days. I, I was just talking to a priest last week from China. He said parishes in his home diocese are still closed. So people could only go to mass like either very, very early in the morning before the police would come, right? Or after dark after the police you know uh, goes home, right? So technically, all churches are still closed by law because of
0: COVID. I see. Mm-hmm. Is COVID an excuse? Or of is course, an excuse.
1: <laughs> of course, an excuse,
0: yeah. Do you think the uh, this may be a naive question, but is the Communist Party in China threatened by Catholicism?
1: I think so. I think so. Well, because we know traditionally the, the Catholic Church, I mean, we are against the communists. Mm-hmm. We, whatever, you know, from Pius XII, John Paul II, what, what they wrote. I mean, very much, very much against the communist ideology, which is atheistic.
0: Sure, it's based on Karl Marx's idea right. there is no God.
1: Right, right, exactly.
0: Um, wow. So, uh, well, I can tell you from my own experience mm-hmm. as a reporter in China, at our bureau in Beijing, we had a, a Chinese person who was there ostensibly to help us Right, yeah. But in actuality, this gentleman, I remember his name. His name was Mr. Tan. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mr. Tan was also reporting to the government at the same exactly, time he was exactly, helping us. Exactly.
1: <laughs> yeah, lots of double agents. Yep, yep, yep. So uh,
0: anyhow, well, uh, so uh, for someone who is confronting uh, a, uh, uh, a future where uh, you, your professed faith, mm-hmm. your vocation, mm-hmm. Uh, is likely to be suppressed uh, as you get older. Mm-hmm. Y- you you seem joyful.
1: Yeah, I think we have to stand up against the Chinese Communist Party. And I just if you just look at um, what Jimmy Lai did, right? You know, he is a billionaire. He could have fled Hong Kong, right? But he, he chose to remain in Hong Kong. He's now in prison, right? So lots of those guys, they were... Arrested for speaking against the government and I just think that, you know, we are as Catholics We are obliged to you know in any way. We have to resist evil uh, Government or evil policies to the end. We, we cannot take the appeasement. We cannot appease the government we, we have to stand up for our faith. We cannot appease. We cannot water down our faith. We cannot You know, just cave in easily because that's not what the Lord taught us.
0: Have you thought about the possibility that one day you could be imprisoned because of? Yes,
1: just by the mere fact that I'm doing this podcast with you. This is already evidence for breaking the national security law because I'm colluding with foreign agents and bad mouthing the Chinese Communist Party. Yeah.
0: Well, uh, thank you for taking that courageous step. Uh, Hopefully this podcast won't become Exhibit A in the government's case (laughs) against you. But anyhow, uh, our parting words here for our uh, largely military audience, uh, U.S. military audience. Uh, All of us in the military and in the general population are watching the U.S. relationship with China, with growing concern, I think I would say. Yes, can you offer us any word of encouragement or, or at least some advice uh, on how to deal with the Communist Party in China going forward?
1: Yeah, the CCP is evil. I mean, just think about, just look at what they did, what they're doing to the Uyghur Muslims, right? Like huge genocide, right? What they did to Tibet, right? What they're doing to Hong Kong and what they will do to Taiwan, right? So yeah, we all have to stand up against this evil regime because if we don't do that, they are going to expand, right? So, I mean, they are cooperating with a lot of countries in South America and Africa, right? And, you know, they're trying to form an evil alliance with Russia, right? So we really have to start now. We have to fight this evil uh, totalitarian regime uh, at this moment. We should spare no effort because if we do not do that then the whole Western world, the whole Western democracy will be in danger. So I guess for the past 30 years, the U.S. has been, the US has been um, promoting that engagement policy, hoping that by you know, promoting economic growth in China, they would, you know, they would improve in the human right condition. But we see that this is clearly not the case. They have not changed. And and they have actually taken advantage of the of the economic growth to you know to really crack down on human rights. Not just in in China, but also you know there are Chinese Americans in the U.S. You know who speak out against the government, who speak out against the CCP. You know they are harassed by the CCP in the U.S. on U.S. soil. There is a priest. um, There is a Shanghai priest. He was. uh, he was a priest, uh, he was in prison for 30 years when he was a seminarian in Shanghai. And then eventually he was released and, ke- and he came to uh, California 30 years ago. So five years ago, he appeared on a you know, Catholic TV show basically just speaking about, you know, talking about his uh, uh, experience in Chinese prison. He was, uh, he was harassed by Chinese agents in California. Another story, there's a New York pastor uh, back in the 70s, 1970s, he was serving the Chinese Catholics in New York. After he left, people discovered that he was actually a Chinese Communist Party Asian sent by the CCP to wash over Catholics in New York City. That was from the 1970s, 50 years ago.
0: Wow. Do you sense you're being followed
1: not at this moment, not at this moment. No.
0: But during your time here, you're, you're going to be here for a period of, uh, how long have you been back in the States from Hong Kong? Four years. Four, oh, years. four years now. Mm-hmm. Do you have any sense that you're being watched?
1: Not at this moment, but probably after this podcast, I don't know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. Well, we will pray. uh,
1: Pray for the fall of communism. Pray for for the the fall of communism, yes. Yes.
0: And for your uh, safety and productivity. And Thank you for your uh, vocation. Thank you. And thank you for uh, coming to talk to me today. I've been talking to Father Vincent Wu, who is uh, a priest of the Diocese of Hong Kong. He's uh, in D.C. uh, working on his... uh, Doctorate of canon law, and uh, during that time working in the tribunal here at the Archdiocese for the Military Services. Father Wu, thank you so much for talking to
1: me. Thank you very much. God bless.
0: Catholic Military Life is a podcast of the Archdiocese for the Military Services USA erected by Pope St. John Paul II in 1985 to provide for the free exercise of Catholic faith in the U.S. military, VA medical centers, and the government civilian workforce beyond U.S. borders. 1.8 million American Catholics worldwide depend on the Archdiocese and its endorsed chaplains for pastoral care. For more information, visit millarch.org The Archdiocese for the Military Services USA, serving those who serve.